When you're in the family business, you have the authority and the responsibility to represent the Father. You are sons and daughters of the Most High God. You are a part of the ministry of Jesus. Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. We've been in a series on Jesus. We've been looking at the different aspects of his life and his ministry. And the goal is to see how it relates to our lives and our ministries. He is the ultimate leader. He lived the best life that could ever be lived. And so he is our North Star. He is um, our example of how to live. We started with Jesus as the light in the, Christmas, um, in the Christmas season. We looked at how Jesus was born king. But today, I want to look at Jesus, the son. Jesus, the son. The son of God and the son of Mary. And I want to look at it from the, from the perspective on what does it look like to be good sons and daughters. John chapter 1, Bible says this, verse 11. It says, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to those, to all those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. Do you remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? If you want to follow me, if you want to be redeemed, if you want to join the kingdom, you must be born again, born of the Spirit. This is what God, Jesus, came to do. He came to give us the right to be children of God. Well, what does it look like to be a child of God? What, what does that mean to us? you got to understand that it's always been, been God's goal to make you a part of the family. From creation with Adam and Eve, he made them for himself and he created, curated a house, a home, Eden, a well-watered place, a garden, so that they could have relationship. That was the whole goal, that they could walk with their father. Sin broke the family up. It separated it. But Jesus came to return us to God's family, that we might have the right to become sons and daughters of the Most High God. You know, there's a couple ways to join a family. You join by blood or you join by marriage. Over the holidays, my wife and I, we brought our kids up to our in-laws in upstate New York. I was scouting out the land for the remnant retreat with my snowboard. <laughs> and uh, when, we, when we visited the, where she's from, went to her, her parents' house, she stood in that house by blood. She was born into that home. But when I went to that home, I'm there by marriage. I married into that home. But my children are in that home by blood and by marriage. I want to tell you, when you come to God's house, you stand in this house by blood and by marriage. He has given you the right to become children of God. That when Jesus died on the cross and his blood was shed for you and I, that blood is now our ransom, our adoption, our initiation into the family of God. But more than that, we're part of the body. We are part of the bride of Christ. And Jesus says, I will return. Why? To receive my bride unto myself. He's coming back for the church. So I 
I want you to know you being here today, you are in the house of God and you are a child of God and you are accepted into the family of God. Galatians 4 says this, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Not only are you not who you used to be, you are a child of God and you get to join with all of the benefits that comes from being a part of the family of God. Jesus shows us what it looks like to be a son of God. Jesus is the model for sonship. He shows us how to be good sons and daughters. That was what his whole life and his whole ministry was all about. He was showing this is what it looks like to live as a child of God. If you really knew you were a child of God, you would have this kind of boldness. You'd have this kind of confidence. You'd have this kind of authority. He lived from a place of complete confidence in who he was in relation to his father. And I, I, I'm so thankful that God's goodness gives us the opportunity to grow into good sons and daughters of a good, good father. So I want to look at today a couple moments in Jesus's ministry and in his life where he shows us what it looks like to be a son or a daughter of God. The first moment is when Jesus is baptized at the Jordan River. He shows up to the ministry of John, the baptizer, to proclaim and begin, initiate his ministry. It's the first thing that he did. He willingly submits to this process and, and John the Baptist baptizes him. And, and the Bible tells us when Jesus came out of the water in front of all of the people there, there was a voice that was heard from heaven and it was the voice of God. And what did God say right here at the beginning of his ministry? The voice said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. I want you to realize something. This is how God sees you. This is how God sees you. This is my son. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. I want you to notice something here. In the timeline of Jesus's ministry, this statement comes at the very beginning. Like if I, was, if I was to put a timeline up of Jesus's life, it would say Jesus was born and then we don't know almost anything for 30 years, blank. And then the first thing you see is this statement. This is my son whom I love and I am well pleased. What I'm saying is that God approved Jesus before he ever performed for God. God's approval does not come from performance. It comes from his own goodness. Jesus had not done anything yet. He had not prophesied yet. He had not done miracles yet. He had not preached a sermon yet. He had not done anything of a notable ministry that we know of up until this point. And yet God says, this is my son whom I love. I'm proud of him. Showing that it's not miracles and, it, and, it, and it's not prophecies and it's not great sermons that make us acceptable to God. And it's not even our own goodness. It's God himself that makes us acceptable to God. And even more than that, look, he, he identifies us. You get your identity from your father. This is my son. And I want you to know how I feel about him. I'm proud of him. 
I love you. I'm for you. Do you know that's where you get your approval? You get your approval from your parents. Children desire approval from their fathers. I see it with my kids every few minutes, it seems. They want to show me something they just made and something new Lego thing. They read something in a book. They want to show me a show. It's dad, 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 all day long. Dad, 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 dad. Even this morning, we were walking out the door. Micah, my middle child, he uh, wanted to undo the alarm so we could leave and go to church. The problem is the alarm's up here and he's down here. And even more than that, he doesn't even know the code. But he wasn't going to be stopped by those obstacles. He's got some thing and he steps on it and he's stretching and, and then he's asking everybody for the code and Judah comes over like an exasperated old man. You know, all right, I'll help you, Micah. And he tells him the code, you know. But Micah was so into it, he finally does it and he, he looks around like, yeah. And I said, good job, Micah. Good job, thank you. And Judah walks by me, he goes, and Judah. <laughs> good job, Judah. Children are constantly looking for approval from their father. And that, that's true of us. And maybe, maybe you feel like you were a child that did not receive the approval that you needed, that you desired from your father, from your mother. Many times if that happens, that, that chases us into adulthood. And it causes us to be unhealthy in our thinking or in our minds, our actions. And sometimes we don't even know that it's connected that we're chasing approval that we feel that we never received. The problem is when that begins to happen, when you feel like you have to do to receive approval, and if you feel like you're not getting it from those that really are first positioned in your life to give you approval, it begins to mess with the wiring of your mind, the outcome of your actions. What can begin to happen is you think, well, I'll get that approval and I'll perform. I'll do better. I'll get interested in what my parents are interested in. I'll, 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 I'll say what they want me to say. I'll act how they want me to act just so that I can receive that approval. Or, or, or maybe even think, well, well, well I'll, I'll do more. I'll, I'll get the degree. I'll, 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 I'll buy the home. I'll start my own family. I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to perform, present, so that I hear those words, well done, well done. Sometimes if that doesn't work, we, we even move into competition where we think, well, if I can't get your approval, mom and dad, then I will fight you for it. I'll beat you. I'll become better than you. I'll have a bigger house. I'll have a nicer car. I'll have more kids. I'll, I'll, I'll attain. I'll acquire. I'll do. I'll get. You'll lose. I'll win. I don't need your approval. But these things can get all mixed up. I mean, one of the things we can do wrong is even begin to replace that position in our life, the approval of a father with other people. So then you put your boss in that place and you need approval from him. Or you might make the mistake of putting your spouse in that place and need approval from them. But make no mistake, your spouse is good for a lot of things, but if they have to be your supreme source of approval, it's not going to happen. It's going to cause friction in the relationship because they, they're not your mom. They're not your dad. And, and they, they shouldn't have to take that position on. Or, or sometimes we'll even chase the opposite sex because we're constantly going from one relationship to another, one partner from another, looking for approval from them that really they can't give because it's got to come from your parent. The problem is if this thing isn't, if this thing isn't addressed, 
and it goes on long enough, what it can do is cause resentment to grow in your heart. You can begin to become bitter, angry. You even turn other people into enemies because you didn't, you didn't receive what you needed from them. So now everyone becomes competition and everyone is competing. They might not, they might not even know it. People become enemies. You become untrusting. You become bitter or angry towards the world, frustrated, almost like the world is out to get you. Why? Because you're not safe in the confidence of who you are and whose you are. And what's even worse is that resentment cannot just grow towards others, it can grow towards God. You say, God, you didn't set me up for success, or even you don't know how to relate to God because you did not have a father or a mother who modeled approval to you. The reality is they may have fallen short, but your eternal father lovingly approves you and reproves you. In other words, he will come down and identify you, tell you that he loves you, that he's for you. And when you miss the mark, when you fall short, when you don't get it right, which is going to happen? God doesn't get angry. He doesn't yell. He doesn't condemn. He doesn't hit you off to the side. What does God do? He lovingly reproves you which is to bring you back into his approval. He kindly corrects. He gently instructs. He comes after you even after you've gone far away from him. He's a father unlike your father. He's a, he's, he's a parent unlike your mother. He is a good God whose goal is to say over your life, I love you, I approve of you, this is my beloved child. I'm with you. I mean, he's such a good father that Jesus, in describing him, he tells a parable of the son that was a poor son, dishonored his parents, took his money, lost it in riotous living. He decides, you know what? I've got nothing left. I'll go back to my father. I'll be a slave. I'll be a servant. I'll be no better than anyone else because he could never, ever receive me again as a son. But you know the story that when the prodigal was a long way off, the father saw him, ran to him, threw his arms around him, took his cloak off himself and put it around his son, put a signet ring of authority back on his fingers, and, and, and he put brand new sandals on his feet and threw a celebration for his son. Why? Because God's goodness does not come from our performance. His approval comes from himself. This is my beloved son. And this is what we see God doing with Jesus right at the beginning, almost like he gathers all of heaven around. Hey, come here. Everybody, he's about to be baptized. Ready? There he is. He looks just like me. This is my, this is my child. I want all of heaven. I want all of earth to see. I approve of him. I love him. Not because of his performance, but because of my own goodness. And how God sees Jesus is how God sees you. He's proud of you. When Jesus was a child, he went to the temple. This is the only, this is the only image we have of Jesus' childhood. It's a famous story when Mary and Joseph, they go up to the festival of Passover and somewhere after the festivities, they're going home and they lose Jesus. Mary loses Jesus. She forgets him at church. Anyone ever been forgotten at church? <laughs> the real ones. Uh, my parents forgot me at church. I remember, you know, <laughs> probably why I'm a preacher now. I had nothing else to do. All right. I got a Bible, I guess. I remember my parents tried to pretend like they didn't forget me. Oh, hey, you know, we just, we were just, we were, you know, we were, 
you were at home. <laughs> Forgot them. They lost them. Mary realizes she loses Jesus. Can you imagine the agony searching for your son amongst millions of people? I mean, maybe you lost your kid in Toys R Us for 12 minutes, but this went on for three days. Searching everywhere they could think of. Finally, they find Jesus in the temple of Jerusalem. And he's with all of the scribes and the Pharisees. And, and they're blown away at the wisdom of this young man. Astonished at what they're seeing. Mary and Joseph come up to Jesus and say, where were you? What were you doing? Don't you know what you did to us? Don't you know how fearful I was? I had no clue where you were. But Jesus says this powerful phrase. He says, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? The King James says that I must be about my father's business. Didn't you know I must be about my father's business? Why? Because sons take personal ownership in the family business. Those of you that come from a family business, you know that you grow up in it that you take personal ownership, that you represent the father, the, the family. I mean, we don't see this so much now, but you know, 50 years ago, there were tons of companies that would say something in Sons, you know, Sanford and Sons, Mumford and Sons, come up with a name. And the point was, it's not just the dad, it's the boys too. We're all working on this thing. Please hear me, please hear me. If, if God had a ministry name, like if he gave, if he gave his, his, his ministry a name, it would be something like Savior and Sons and Daughters. We're part of the family business. This is what it means to be a part of the family. I remember one time my AC broke in the summer and I didn't, I didn't know what was wrong and it was getting hot. So I called our AC guy and he showed up and he was like, oh, you know, you need to dig out this this pipe and you need to connect these wires and you need to check this thing. You need to do all that. And it's like, what do you, I think you need to do all of that. I don't. And he's like, Oh, I can't help you. I can do this, that, this, this might fix it. I reset this thing. You know, you, you should be good, but you need to, you need to do all this stuff. And he gave me like homework and I was like, Oh, okay. You know, well, it didn't work what he did. So I called him again. Hey guys, AC's still not working. Can you send that guy back out? He comes back out and he looks. He's like, you didn't do all that stuff I told you to do. Fix this pipe. Dig this thing out. You know, connect these wires. And it's like, I don't, I don't, what do you think's happening here? You're, you have the degree. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, you know? And he got really mad that I, I didn't do his job. He was really frustrated. He starts like muttering and cursing under his breath and starts uh, and I say, hey, like, you need to calm down. Oh, I'm just saying that. And he starts going crazy and I was like, all right, you need to get off my property, man. Like, you need to go. We almost came to fisticuffs, you know? It, it got, I had to kick him out. So I called the, the company again and said, hey, uh, <laughs> we got an issue. This guy's not gonna work out. Can you send someone else? And I said, oh, we got someone close to the area. We'll send him over. This kid shows up. He, he, he did not look like an AC repair guy. He showed up in like a, like he showed up in like a Louis Vuitton jacket and a Gucci belt buckle. And he looked like he was 15. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> this is going from bad to worse. But the guy goes, oh, you have to, he said similar, so you gotta dig this out and everything. But he got on his own hands and knees and began to dig and showed me, all right, this is what you do and you have to connect this. And, Oh, come to find out you needed refrigeration. Let me load it for you. He did the whole thing and helped me through it. 
It was a really great experience. At the end, I told them, hey, would you mind calling back to base? And because they know the whole story, because I don't want to pay like 10 times for everybody, um, especially after I got yelled at and it hurt. And, um, <laughs> and the kid, he goes, no, no, listen, I won't charge you for this visit. I'm not going to charge you for the refrigeration, all that stuff. And I said, well, make sure you call, you know, and just let them know. And he goes, no, no, I don't need to do that. He says, I've got the authority to do this. I'm the son. When you're in the family business, you have the authority, the right, and the responsibility to represent the father. No, no, I'm, I'm here representing him. I'm doing his will. I'm doing it with confidence because I am a part of the family business. You are sons and daughters of the Most High God. You are a part of the ministry of Jesus. And you have the authority, but you have to learn the tools of the trade. You have to understand how to be a minister. Well, that's gonna take a lifetime, really. And who do you study? You gotta study Jesus. He shows us what it looks like to be a son. To, to, to be a part of the ministry of the Father. I mean, even fasting and prayer, what we're doing, I want you to know, it's not just a religious institution that we're doing. What we're doing is fasting because Jesus fasted. And he showed us how important it was. And he showed us this is one of the ways that you get heaven's attention. So it's a tool in the toolbox. It's one of the tricks of the trade that we are using to get the attention of heaven and apply it to our lives and apply it to our region. You might even sense that your spirit is getting more sensitive or, or things are shifting even as you fast. I want you to hear me. It's one of the tools that God has given you to be a minister. And you are a minister of the gospel, part of the family business. But it would take an hour to even just go through an overview of all of the tools of the trade that we see in Jesus' life. You know, it might take multiple hours. But I want to look at just one verse that shows what Jesus expects of us to continue his ministry. In the book of Matthew, Jesus is about to ascend. And he says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me now, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. You're not going to do this alone, even to the ends of the age. Look, can you go back to the previous verse? This is what God's saying. I've got the authority, but now I give it to you. And here's what I'm looking for you to do. Make disciples. And not just the pastors. We're all here to make disciples, to know the Word of God, to encourage each other, to lift each other up. And this is what we're doing in crews. This is what we do on Sunday. We don't want to just be uh, uh, attendees or fans. We are disciples of the Most High God. And I pray that more disciples are even made through this house, baptizing them. That was an unbelievable baptism that we all witnessed. What are we seeing? We're seeing we're seeing the ministry of God continue 2,000 years later in front of our very eyes. And, and then he says, and teach them and instruct them. This is what we're seeing today. But what am I saying? I'm saying that Jesus alone confers sonship, confers, confers the right to become children on us. And when he does that, he also gives us responsibility. He gives us authority. And God gives us approval from the Almighty 
You are my beloved sons and daughters. God is pleased with you. He approves you, and he loves to see you carry on the family work. We see that Jesus wasn't just approved by his father. We see another moment. It's really powerful. It shows us how to live, how to be a son or a daughter. We see Jesus honor his mother. Remember that story I just told you about Jesus at the temple when Mary lost Jesus? Well, really, I think that story is a preview of the crucifixion. Look at the beats of that story. It happened at the feast of Passover. Well, that's when the crucifixion happened. Mary lost her son. For how long? Three days. Why did she lose him? Because he said, I must be about my father's business. Not my will but yours be done. He is the one that said, I come to bear witness to the light. I come to bear witness to the truth and give my life for a ransom for many. It's pretty powerful that we see that happen when he's young, we see it almost happen again. But this time it's a little bit different. This time something shifts. First, Mary's looking for Jesus, but this time Jesus is looking after Mary. And when he's on the cross, in the middle of horrific crucifixion, the Bible shows us this moment when he looks down. And the Bible says, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple, John, whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, son, behold your mother. In the midst of his ministry to the whole world, to all of mankind, to all generations, in the midst of the greatest act of ministry mankind has ever seen, he pauses it all and he focuses down on the one. God so loved the whole world, but he loved every one. He pauses it all and looks at his mother because he knows for three days she's going to be searching. For three days she's going to be in agony. For three days she's going to have no son. But Jesus says, hold on. I'm going to resource you. I'm going to remember you. I'm going to provide for you, even in the midst of all the other things that I'm doing. It's amazing that Ministry can become so all-encompassing and can cause us to put family down the, the, the totem pole. E- even more than ministry, work can become so all-encompassing. We forget, we forget family. We push them to the side. We don't have enough time, room, effort, energy for them. But Jesus is doing the greatest work that mankind has ever seen under the most difficult circumstances ever seen. And he pauses it all to honor his mother. Let's take care of his mom. This is... This is This is what a son of God looks like. This is what it looks like to be a child of the Most High. He served, he served his mother. Sometimes it's more difficult to serve those closest to you than everyone else. But serving Jesus is serving those closest to you. And he served his mother even from the cross. And, And might I propose maybe serving your mother is your cross to bear. Maybe it's not so difficult for you to serve your mother or your mother-in-law because you know they're probably never going to change. But that doesn't excuse you not serving, not honoring, not loving, not forgiving. That might be what it looks like to honor your mother, your father, 
is to forgive them, to not speak ill of them, to not blame everything on them. I'm not saying maybe you have to hang out all the time, but you can't dishonor. You can't hate. See, the enemy wants to turn your family into the enemy. They're not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. And when we see Jesus in the midst of all that, and please know, Jesus had opportunities to be frustrated with his mother or even hurt or even feeling sort of betrayed. And there's a famous time where Jesus is preaching and Mary and the brothers show up to take Jesus back to the home because they think he has become a lunatic. They think he's off. But Jesus won't even see his mother at that time. He says, they, they, they've got it wrong right now. So who my mother and my brothers are are my disciples, those of you who are around me and that believe. Jesus could have taken that opportunity and had resentment grown his heart. He could have been frustrated with his mom. I mean, if your mom, your mom thought you were a lunatic and let everyone know about it. Some of you think your mom's a lunatic and you let everyone know about it. There was, moment, there was a moment there where there could be real offense. Jesus forgave, overcame, and in his final moments said, I'm going to provide. For some of you, honoring your parents might look like providing for them, carving out time and going and visiting with them. You say, well, you don't know how difficult is it. It's ministry. It's sacrifice. Some of you are going to physically care for your parents like they physically cared for you when you were children. Please know this is what it looks like to be a son or a daughter of God. God gives us in the Ten Commandments one that says to honor your father and mother. When you do this, you act like Jesus and you fulfill the, first, the fifth commandment. But do you know that that's the only commandment that comes with a promise? Honor your father and mother. And if you do this, your days will be long. They will be fulfilled. They, 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 they will have life in them. Some of us, and I, I don't mean to rebuke too harshly, but let me say it this way. We have to be careful that we don't call down curses upon ourselves if we curse our parents. And you say, well, it's just in the silence of my own home. Well, only God gives long life and he, he's listening. He hears. But if instead I honor, whether they deserve it or not, if I honor, God says, I'll honor you. And I'll give you a long, healthy, fulfilled life. Samantha and I recently went to a pastor's conference and there was a pastor there that was 91 years old. I may have talked to you about this. It just impacted me so much to see like a living testimony of this pastor preaching. He preached three times in like two days. And I thought like, this guy's got more stamina than me. And he was going hard and it was so powerful. And every sermon he preached, he talked about his mother and his father. I mean, for the majority of the sermon. He told the story of how they got saved and, and how they nursed him to health when he was ill and how they believed for a miracle and just he, one thing after another about the faith of his mother. At 91 years old, he's remembering this woman who has been gone from this earth for almost 70 years. It was so powerful to see this grown man weeping and weeping as he talked about his mother. And in between all of this, he kept referencing how healthy he is. He's saying, my doctors can't figure it out. My kids can't figure it out. He's going, I'm not on any medicine. I'm barely taking vitamins. <laughs> What's this guy's secret? And then he would go on to preach again. Then he would come back, I'm, not, I'm healthy. Finally, on like the 10th time, I, was like, I leaned over to Samantha. I said, what do you think this is? This is wild. I want to be like this. And my wife goes, I think it's because he honors his father and mother. His days are long and he's healthy. This guy didn't even know the secret. 
He didn't even know the principle, but he's living it. And God says, if you live it, I'll honor you if you'll honor them. This is what it looks like to be a son or a daughter. And lastly, I want to show you a moment where Jesus is recognized as the son of God. And he's recognized not just by those who love him or those that will believe in him, but he's recognized by a pagan, someone who's very far off from God, a long distance from who he is. But while Jesus is on the cross in the moment of his death, the Bible talks to us about a centurion. When the centurion saw, uh, stood there in front of Jesus, in front of the cross, and he saw how he died. He said, surely this man was the son of God. Some people live in such a way you say there's something special about them. It's like a touch of magic or there's something holy about them. I mean, there's even been many people that have proclaimed to be Messiah, but after they died, it, it washed away and their followers were gone. But this pagan centurion recognized in Christ's death his divinity. He said, I've never seen anything like this. What kind of a man is this? That he blesses his tormentors? He prays forgiveness over his persecutors? He welcomes a thief on the cross next to him and promises him paradise that very day? Who but the Son of God? Who but the Son of God would do such a thing? Who but the Son of God could heal the sick and cleanse the lepers and cast out demons? Who but the Son of God would cover that woman that was about to be stoned to death? And he said, I do not condemn you. Who but the Son of God would do such a thing? There has never been anyone like Jesus. There never will be anyone like Jesus. He is the bright morning star. He shows us what it looks like to be human, but not just not just human the way we are, but, but if we were able to be like God, if we were able to really live the way we were designed to live, it would look like Jesus. And we're going to fall short because we are imperfect. We are not the son of God. We are just sons and daughters of God. But he is our guiding light. He is the one that we follow. And his life and his ministry, may it become like our lives, our ministry, may our lives become like his life and ministry. May we follow him and become like him. Good, healthy, holy sons and daughters of the Most High God. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.